I'm Martin Reeves, Chairman of the BCG Henderson Institute, BCG's think tank for new ideas in strategy and management. Welcome to our Thinkers and Ideas podcast, where we talk to new authors about exciting new ideas and books. And today I'm very pleased to be joined by Arnaud Chevalier and Albrecht Enders, who are two professors of strategy at IMD who've just written a very interesting new book called Solvable, A Simple Solution to Complex Problems. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you very much for having us, Martin. So it's a perennial problem, solving problems, and many books have been written about that. Tell me about your, your motive for writing this book right now. So I've been interested in problem solving ever since I joined BCG 20 years ago, and I've, I've been working on the topic. And really, from our perspective, there are two things about this book. On the one hand, it's, it's from an analytical side. It's a comprehensive and integrated approach where we really take the reader from, from the beginning to the end of the problem-solving process. And secondly, and equally importantly, it's about this engagement aspect that you need to take your stakeholders along, both to get their ideas, but later on also to get their buy-in and support for oftentimes difficult decisions where you need to say no to a lot of ideas and yes to only very few. And when you say problems, presumably you're not just talking about problems of strategy, you're talking about potentially problems of organization, social issues. Does it apply your approach to any type of problem? Yeah, so, so absolutely. If we think of a problem as a gap between where you are and where you want to be, then all of us are solving problems all day, every day. So here we're not talking about all problems. You probably don't need to apply the approach for choosing which socks to put on in the morning. But any complex problem, any problem that keeps you up at night, that, that creates some stress, whether it's to integrate or penetrate a new market, or whether it's to identify your work from home policy, would suddenly apply there. So as background to the book, let's talk about the, the problem with problem solving. You see in your executive education work, lots of executive solving problems. What are the, the top three things that people get wrong when they're approaching problem solving? So we've asked the question to a bunch of executives who've come to IMD over the past couple of years, and there's overwhelming evidence now that the biggest trap they see either themselves fall into or other people in their organizations when they're solving complex problems is a lack of appropriate engagement of stakeholders. Maybe they're not considering the viewpoints of all the stakeholders they should consider, or that also happens in some organizations, they involve too much the stakeholders to a point that become paralyzed by analysis. So stakeholder engagement is one big issue. A second big issue is poor framing, not considering the best problem they should be considering, but rather considering a symptom rather than a pain or maybe a, a different problem altogether. Now, the professors of heuristics might say that there, there can be no universal approach to problem solving because it depends upon the, the type of the problem, whether you're dealing with a you know, a wicked problem, a problem that cannot be solved immediately and therefore can only be solved by evolution towards a solution and, and so on. What would be your response to the idea that this may be a little bit of a, a holy grail or a, or a goose chase to try to define a single approach to problem solving? Well, you know, the way we look at it is that we really take as a starting point this notion of, of having to make choices and trade-offs and having to say no to a lot of things. And that takes us really to, to the core of the issue that you need to engage your stakeholders in a way where you get options on the table, where you also need to get your objectives and competing criteria on the table. And, and you need to map those out in a way in order to come to these decision solutions that actually help you 
both to to have, make a choice, but then also to take your stakeholders along. So that's really at the core of, of, of what we are trying to do. And it, it seems to fit most of the challenges, almost all of the challenges that our participants and managers come to us with. Would you say that in practice, the problem-solving approach is the bottleneck? Because theoretically, it could be the, the skill of the manager in applying any approach to problem-solving. You know, maybe any, any approach is, is bad in the wrong hands. In practice, you found that having a better framework actually helps people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're, and, and coming from Texas before being in Lausanne, allow me the image of shooting from the hip, where you let your intuition guide you, you might be lucky. But if the problem is complex enough, at some point, you're going to start forgetting some key issues. And either that's going to start biting you when you're trying to sell it to your stakeholders, or perhaps even worse, after you started the implementation and you're realizing, oops, here's an issue we didn't think about, and now we have to redo it. Great. So let's talk about a person called Fred, then. That's the name of your approach, Fred. You have three steps, which compress into the acronym FRED. Can you tell us about the three steps? Yes. So, so basically, the, the process boils down to these, these three steps, which is the framing piece, which is all about actually figuring out what is the challenge that you want to address, what's the one key question that needs to be resolved. The second step is about exploring, not just jumping to the first solution that comes to mind, you know, shooting from the hip, but actually exploring broad option spaces. And then in the third step, this act of deciding, thinking through what the trade-offs are with different types of options, and then finding the one solution that actually meets your, your criteria in the best possible way. And the process is iterative. So you don't just go through it once, but you want to cycle through it multiple times, because as you move through the later steps, you might also get new information that then helps you to refine your initial steps. There's a new book out, I'm sure you've seen it, by Kukia and others called Framers, which is about your first step, framing. I'm wondering whether your idea of framing is, is the same as that, essentially defining what problem you're trying to solve, or whether you see things slightly differently. Yeah, a great book and fantastic stories in there. Really enjoyed reading it. It does work. We do use the same word framing. I think we have a slightly different perspective on it. I think they were looking at framing as one specific perspective onto a problem, whereas we use a frame more perhaps as the frame around a painting, delineating what belongs to the painting and what is kept out. Well, framing is certainly a very important part of problem solving. If I can make an observation from my own career, I, I don't think I've ever seen a problem that was given by a client, which turned out to be the right formulation of the problem. We also know that, of course, artificial intelligence is great at problem spotting and correlations, but you, you have to define the problem. Framing is not a problem that can be solved by, by artificial intelligence. It's a very, very human, very artful step in the process. What makes for good framing? So we go back to George Box, right, saying uh, all models are wrong, but some models are useful. Look, I, I think if we are addressing complex problems, we want to integrate in the picture everything that's important and leave out everything that is just ancillary. And so a good frame will have all those necessary conditions and only those necessary conditions. And how does one go about framing? You know, I think we can understand the general idea of framing, which is, you know, defining the problem to be solved, what's in, what's out. But if I'm faced with a messy situation and I have to choose a frame, you know, what are the, what are the steps that I take to get to a good framing? 
Well, there's there's something about the context, you know, defining out who is actually dealing with the problem, who is who is developing the solutions and making the decisions. There's also an element about what are we actually trying to achieve, what are the objectives. And then really the critical piece, we call that the dragon, is this element of what's preventing me from actually getting to where I want to go and really understanding these obstacles in the way, which then takes you to the to the question that you need to address. And that has something to do with, with how you think about it, but equally importantly, also you engaging with the people around you, your important stakeholders to make sure that their perspectives are also included in the way you frame. Because if they don't feel heard, they're not going to buy into the solutions you come up with later on. So supposing I'm a manager reading your book and I've come up with my framing in my, you know, my own mind, I've included all of the stakeholders, I've included all of the essential details, I've left out anything that seemed irrelevant to me, and I've storified the approach so that other people can understand the problem. Mm-hmm. I think it's great, but how would I know? How would you stare at your framing of a problem and say, well, no, no, I need to work on that some more, or you know, that's great. How do you know? So the first key is you can't ever be sure, right? There's no certainty. Certainty is an ideal we aspire to, but we can never reach it. So what Albrecht was saying is that if you have a clear protagonist, who is in charge of solving the problem? That can be one person, a group of persons, that's your hero. Aspiring to gain an overall objective, that's a treasure. And in between those two, the hero and the treasure, you have an obstacle, a dragon. Your key question is how should the hero get the treasure given the dragon? It becomes a very simple synthetic statement that you can Transport, you can go and see your stakeholders and say, it feels to me that what we're after is this. Do you agree? Yes, no. And because you've left out much of the complexity to drill it down to that simple statement, you can pressure test it with your stakeholders and see whether some of them are pushing back. I'm fascinated by your um, your dragons and heroes. I think you're talking about the storification of, of a problem. And, and I'm wondering... What is important in capturing the problem in the style of a a story understandable to humans? Are you primarily pushing the idea of getting to the essence of the problem? Or are you also touching on the idea that problem solving is a social process and therefore the problem statement has to be not only understood by others, but it has to engage others? Tell me about this uh, storification aspect you touch on in your book. So there there are two elements to this. First of all, the story setup gives us a simple checklist of things that problem solvers need to remember when they go through the process. And then what we find with no matter what audience, having, having the story framework in their mind reminds them of what matters and they walk through the systematic process. And the second key element, as you said, it's, it's a social process. There's a communication element to it as well. And what we tell our managers who work with us is that unless your audience slides forward in their seat when you do the opening, when you do the framing of your, of your problem, and they say, no, this is interesting, this is a goal that we want to achieve, and yes, we agree that there's a dragon, that there's an obstacle, and that they see the tension, unless you get to that point, you're going to have a really hard time actually selling your solutions and getting buy-in for that. So, so this framing aspect has a really important component when it comes to the, to the whole communication and engagement piece. One of my favorite pieces, and I'm not sure whether you've seen this, Albrecht, when you're at BCG, one of my favorite pieces on problem solving was, a, was an old paper by Bruce Henderson, the founder of BCG. He, he essentially said that problem solving a business is different from anything we've experienced in our education because you never know for sure what the problem is. You never have all of the information. 
And you always have to make choices about accuracy versus tractability. And so he framed business problem solving as an iterative process of reframing. And I guess his key idea was that there's a certain logic to the sequence of reframing. You may start off with the facts, you may go into objectives, you may go into quantification, you may go into options, and there's a certain logic to the repeated reframing steps. Would this view be consistent with what you've written about? Yes, very much so. I mean, that, that's why we visualized Fred as a circular process, you know, where, where you do frame, where you do explore, and where you do decide, but then you also use that information that you've gained throughout the process to actually go back to your framing and revisit and potentially also reframe. And that's information that you gather that you just do not have before because you don't even know what to look at. So there needs to be a point where you start, where you start digging, where you start looking, and then expand out and then keep going back. And at some point, obviously, you also need to stop because you can't just keep analyzing, but you need to execute. And that is a judgment call when you actually stop and say, look, this is good enough in order to then also have the time to actually go out and get the solution implemented. So let's talk about the next step, evaluation. You have the tools of the why map and the, and the how map, as you call them. Tell us about some of the tools and techniques and best practices in the evaluation step. The why map, as you call it, is still part of the framing. What we're saying, hang on, we've defined the problem. We have an initial understanding of what it is, but it doesn't guarantee that we understand the problem. Maybe we should go and understand the root causes. Why is it that our profitability is indeed low? Or perhaps why is it that we haven't been able to raise our profitability? Or why has it been becoming low lately? All this might help us understand better whether the problem that we've identified so far is indeed the problem or perhaps just one of its symptoms. That helps us reframe our quests and maybe get to a better key question that we want to solve. And then when we get into the exploration, this is how we do a how map where we explore the ensemble of solutions, looking at all the potential answers for if we go back to that example of improving a profitability, what can we do? to get to a higher profitability. So essentially, we are exploring as a way of giving ourselves license to not just go with the obvious solution, but first identify other potential solutions to see if indeed the obvious one is the most desirable one. So essentially, you're looking at a universe of possible solutions and evaluating the solutions. That's the, the essence of the evaluation step. Yes, and, and the key thing there, Something that we learn in our consulting career is this thinking in, in MISI categories and categories that are mutually exclusive and collectively exhaustive. Something that helps us to push these option spaces in a more systematic way than we might be able to if we just sit down with a piece of paper and just start making laundry lists of potential ideas. What we see with participants that are, or with managers at large is that it really helps them to look much more, more broadly at the issues they are, they are discussing both during the problem solving and then later on also when they communicate, that they can have much more structure and be much more systematic in the way they communicate back. So let's come back to the theme of stakeholders, you know, the idea that problem solving is a social process. I mean, it certainly applies in the framing step because the framing has to be accepted and bought as relevant by the other stakeholders. But it seems to me it also applies to the evaluation step because you could choose to leave your evaluation step to experts, for instance, if it's a very technical problem, or you could be quite inclusive. You could include all relevant stakeholders, 
not restricted to people with sort of high technical competence in a particular area, but maybe anticipating that these people need to buy the solution because they'll be eventually implement it. How do you go about tapping into the, the wisdom of crowds while avoiding the folly of crowds? How do you think about the choices about involving others in this evaluation step? You're putting your finger on the critical point here, which is complex problems do not have one right answer. Because even if the three of us, as stakeholders, we agree that, say, affordability and quality are the two key elements of a solution we're looking into, Martin, you you might be looking for a very high quality and affordability is not so important to you. And us, we might be going the other way around. And as a result, when we give those categories different weights, what comes out to be the best solution will differ if we look at it from your point of view or from ours. So it's really important to realize those complex problems, they are not like math problems where there's one objective right answer, but rather everyone will be colored by their own values or biases. So the idea here, when you are dealing with different stakeholders, and we can, I think, easily imagine that some stakeholders might be, say, the top team, leadership team of a company, and some other stakeholders might be the head of their union, they will value different things. And we need to find a way here to gather their different points of view and get them to the feeling that they've been heard, something that we call a fair process. Involving others in the evaluation process, presumably there are trade-offs to be considered between inclusion on the one hand, but also discrimination between what is a more effective and a less effective point of view. How How do you think about balancing that process of involving others? Yeah, so first of all, you want to get their perspectives into the process. You want to have their options. You want to have their criteria. And in the end, there's a decision-making team or it's an individual who weighs the criteria, who also looks at the options and makes a non-balanced decision. And hopefully then, by being able to explain why you made a certain decision, you create that sense of fair process that even those people whose decisions in the end or whose ideas in the end are not getting implemented, they will have the sense of having been heard. And that will then create some buy-in and support for the implementation of your solutions. Towards the end of the book, you propose that we all need to be better at Bayesian thinking, the idea of regarding any point of view as a a hypothesis, which can be updated in the light of of new evidence. Tell me why you ended the book on that note, stressing the importance of Bayesian thinking. So Bayesian thinking, we summarize it as update your thinking in light of new evidence. And as strategists, we are essentially trying to read the future, making a guess as to what the future will be three months or three years from now and preparing for it. As we've all seen, especially over the past couple of years, there are curveballs thrown our ways, which might not get to the environment we're expecting. When that happens, we need to be able to update our plans so that we can integrate those changes. The nice thing about the process that we have and also the, the visual artifacts that are created in the process is actually that you can go back a few months later on, look at your matrix, look at your why maps, your how maps, and you don't have to start from scratch. You can think about what has changed and how might that influence the way I would have thought about the process back then and what different types of decisions might I be making right now versus just doing this in your head and, and then just having conversations. So this element of visual artifacts is something that's really central to what we're trying to achieve. 
So bringing this down to earth for a, a CEO that wants his organization to be better at problem solving, where do you begin? There's, there's a particular problem that you're facing, but if thinking about building the capabilities, building the right habits, how do you establish a culture or a set of practices of more effective problem solving in an organization? So that's a great question. And this is central to what we do here at IMD, where we sometimes have whole teams coming in. And it starts with creating a safe space where we create an environment where it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to say what if. It's okay to float hypotheses that might be extremely dumb, knowing that first we are generating those ideas, later on we evaluate and we'll throw away most of those, but maybe out of those crazy ideas, a couple will retain. And it works better if as teams, the participants come in and explore with one another, acquire this alphabet of tools, this toolbox, so that they can bounce ideas with one another, even if they don't belong to the same part of the organizations as they go back after they visit it. And finally, maybe a personal question. Do you find yourself personally applying the, the approaches that you've proposed in the book? And maybe you could give me an example of uh, how this applies to your lives as problem solvers. So I have many interesting experiences with that. You know, when we chose our house, when we decided how to renovate it, there were these processes that, uh, that we applied and sometimes it actually didn't work so well. And we write about that in the book, you know, what actually happens when you don't have your criteria straight, you actually end up buying something that you might not want. So the, there's one element. But what I found most interesting now is while I was actually in, in the role of, of dean here at IMD, having to deal with many colleagues wanting to do a lot of things, having to make these difficult choices you end up having this algorithm kind of installed in the back of your mind. And even in kind of like in live situations, you start being able to apply this to detach the decision-making from the framing and first start having conversations around what it is, is it actually that we're trying to achieve before you then start having the difficult decisions about what to do. Well, thanks for a fascinating conversation, gentlemen. I've been talking to Arnaud Chevalier and Albrecht Enders about their new book, Solvable, a simple solution to complex problems, just out from Pearson education. I think, you know, a very general and perennial topic that can apply to us all in our, in our organizations. If you've liked this podcast, then please subscribe on your favorite podcasting service. And as always, we welcome your feedback. Thank you again, Arno and Albrecht. Thank you for having me as Martin. Thank you. <laughs>